Welcome to Whores Talk Horror. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello and welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. And today we have, um, it's just kind of a footnote episode. Hopefully you listened to our last three episodes where we interviewed Tatiana and her mom, Adriana. They have a long history of basically dealing with the supernatural um they see the dead they talk to the dead I would suggest if you've not heard the other episodes listening to them just because it it was a three-parter because we couldn't stop talking to them because they were awesome but also you're you might be a little confused about what we're talking about now (laughs) and also they were really fucking good episodes so you should probably download those ASAP. Um, we're just going to be discussing some of the things that we wanted to know a little bit more about, like shadow figures, uh, the history of pentagrams, the 13th commandments, or the 13 commandments, I should say, um, and a couple other things. So that's what we're going to talk about now. So, so prepare to be educated, sort of. All right. So first, we're going to start with shadow figures. According to Wikipedia, a number of religions, legends, and belief systems describe shadowy spiritual beings or supernatural entities such as shades of the underworld. Various shadowy creatures have long been a staple of folklore and ghost stories. From the website, the official Shadow People archives, shadow people are described as sometimes appearing as the mere silhouette of a person, usually male, but generally lacking any other characteristics of gender. There are hatted shadow beings, like the one I saw in my bedroom when I was little. There are hooded shadows, cloaked ones, like Tatiana discussed. There's solid or wispy shadows or smoky types. Some are seen only from the waist up. Others clearly have legs that are seen fleeing from their observers. They dart into corners, through walls, into closets, or behind television sets, bushes, and buildings. Sometimes they simply fade into the dark recesses of the night. What is the purpose of shadow people? A number of witnesses believe that shadow people act as benevolent guardians watching and guiding us. Just as many witnesses have no doubt of the evil, soul-wrenching potential of these beings as well. Stephen Wagner from liveabout.com gives some other explanations of what shadow figures could be. One theory suggests that shadow people are the shadows or essences of people who are having out-of-body experiences. Huh. According to Jerry Gross, an author, lecturer, and teacher of astral travel, we all travel out of the body when we are asleep. Perhaps this theory says we are seeing the ephemeral astral bodies of these twilight travelers. I think that's very interesting. I was just going to say that... um so I'm a big Ghost Hunters fan. Mm-hmm. Like, surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, they talk about shadow people all the time, too. I've never heard that before, that theory about pe- about it being an astral projection of some or somebody's astral projection. Yeah, I think that's... Um, that's really interesting. Yeah, I who knows if it's true, but it's definitely, right. you know, another take on the, is it a ghost, is it a demon? Uh, where was I? Oh, speaking of demons, or perhaps they are demons. The dark countenance and malevolent feelings that are often reported in association with these creatures have led some researchers to speculate that they may be demonic in nature. If they are demons, we have to wonder what their purpose or intent is in letting themselves be seen in this manner. Is it merely to frighten? So yeah, basically, 
from the little bit of research I did, these shadow figures could be ghosts. They could be astral projections. They can be demons. There is uh, other talk of them possibly being aliens or time travelers. And then um, I don't remember which episode episode it is, but um, on the X-Files, Scully has a very scientific term for what she thinks shadow figures are, which is like a trick of the brain. So she would actually say that she doesn't think they're any of those things, probably. Yeah. And there's also, according to Wikipedia, uh, it could be uh, sleep paralysis. Um, it could also be, I think, as Jelena pointed out in the episode we did with her, it could be methamphetamine addiction, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is the least likely cause. Um, I definitely was not on methamphetamines when I was, you know, seven or eight years old and woke up I and mean, saw a shadow figure in the middle of the night. You sure, right? I am sure. <laughs> and I did a little, yeah, I didn't get into my meth addiction until I was like <laughs> nine or 10. So right, right. I'm definitely sure of that. Um, but I did a little bit of research about sleep paralysis as well. And I did read something that said that when you have sleep paralysis and you wake up, you um, are still kind of in that heavy dream state. And even though you're conscious, your mind can play tricks on you and you're you could still be hallucinating things that were from your dream, although it did say that you would be unable to speak or communicate at this point, which I definitely know when I saw the shadow figure that I was able to speak. Oh, okay. So I, I don't think that was a sleep paralysis thing. Yeah, there's a lot of, because I also, as we've mentioned on a previous episode, I love those reenactment shows. Usually the worse they are, the better. Um, and a lot of the haunting shows that like have people talking about their experiences talk about things where you're like, okay, that's sleep paralysis. I don't know if you're haunted. But like regardless, it's a terrifying experience. And your body, I mean, like when it's happened to me, I've, I've had to freak out and calm myself down and get myself to go back to sleep. So the fear is still there. Like yeah, regardless of what it is, something's happening to make whoever's experiencing that terrified so yeah but that's interesting that when you were little you didn't have you weren't experiencing sleep paralysis I didn't have sleep paralysis until I was in my teens and even that one time when I um that story I told about woken up from taking a nap and seeing spiders crawling in the corner of my bedroom and my boyfriend at the time ran to the bedroom because I was calling his name. I was clearly able to communicate because I was calling his name. He came into the bedroom and I was t- asking him if he saw the spiders. So according to what I read, if you're in uh, still in that yeah. uh, state of sleep paralysis, I wouldn't have been able to call for him or communicate to him or speak at all. So Because right. your body's still, isn't it like your body's still asleep? It's just that you're brain has woken up before the signal to tell your body to wake up kind of I don't remember the detail it was just something when I was uh researching shadow figures and like came across this brief description of you know yeah being sleep paralysis and and how sleep paralysis could be responsible for people seeing shadow figures totally yeah um yeah I don't remember all the details of it but anyways so that is just a little bit more about shadow figures Okay, so a little bit more background about the Kenosha Kemper Center hauntings. This is from Milwaukee Magazine. Uh, Writer Archer Parquette writes that in January of 1900 in Kenosha, Wisconsin, the body of a nun lies washed up in the sand. 
Days before the discovery, the sister had been working at Kemper Hall, which was an Episcopal boarding school for girls on the lakefront. The mansion had once been a private home of Senator Charles Durkee in 1861, but was then converted into a school in 1865. New wings were built, and the building expanded to include a chapel and rooms for the students and nuns. The striking Gothic Revival architecture and the scenic lakeshore grounds made the hall landmark in Kenosha, which is not far from us, so I kind of want to do a road trip up here. And I've never heard of this either, so I'm really No, I never heard the story either. So the legend, which has actually never been verified, is that the sister came to work at the school in 1899. A young woman newly out of the seminary, her behavior began to degenerate quickly, a sort of madness taking hold of her mind. While this alarmed the other sisters, it was not enough to prevent what supposedly happened. The sister threw herself from the rocks outside Kemper, down into the lake below. She was reported missing for days until the children found her. Ew. This story doesn't end there. In the century since, sightings of mysterious figures cloaked in blackness have pervaded Kemper Hall. Shadow figures? Maybe. Maybe. Now known as Kemper Center. There are reports of figures appearing in hallways and disappearing when persuaded. Or more often, just a feeling of being watched. Sightings often involve apparitions passing by the windows or dark shadows along the walls. In the echoing halls within the center, visitors report creaking footsteps with no source. Other legends beyond the sister have sprung up as well, including a nun who fell down the spiraling observatory staircase and a teenage student who jumped off the roof. Oof. The Kenosha News reported that in 1996, fiction writer David Schmickel took a photo of the scenic grounds in the mansion, and when he developed them, he found unnatural shapes in the windows, kind of like the omen. In the movie, I know I'm actually making connections to like so many different horror movies right now where I'm (laughs) like, okay. Uh, He said that he had captured ghosts looking out. All right, so we're gonna have to go there and we're gonna have to bring our camera. And and you said that it is still, it's the Kemper Center now, so it's still open, but it's not a school. Is that what? Well, or have you not gotten to that yet? Funny you should ask, Mindy. <laughs> um, the building is no longer a school. Today, it is a historic site, often oh. used for local arts events, weddings, and as one might expect, uh, ha- ooh, a Halloween haunted house tour. Fuck yeah, we're going. Uh... All right, fuck yeah, I'm going. <laughs> you can fucking stay at home and watch Sesame Street. Wow. <laughs> Rough crowd this morning. The grounds are open to... Sorry, I'm going to stop talking now. It's morning. Um, The grounds are open to the public. According to the legend, the sister's body was quickly buried and the story was put to rest soon afterwards. I guess that makes sense if you you have a school and you want to keep having children and it's attend the the school. The children that found her body, supposedly. Yeah. Yeah, that's something you kind of want to bury under the rug there. Maybe they did. Don't tell your parents, okay? Killed all the children and then buried them under the rug. So that the story wouldn't get out. (laughs) Um, But you only have to turn to the preeminent horror writer of the same era, H.P. Lovecraft, to know, quote, that is not dead, which can eternal lie. And with strange eons, every death may die. So that is the story of the Kenosha Kemper Center hauntings. And if we make a field trip to this site 
we will definitely take photos and post them on our Instagram page. And we will also report back if we see or hear any strange sightings, visions, stories. Shadow people. Shadow people. With or without hats or cloaks. (laughs) Or glowing red eyes. Right. Okay, so one thing that was mentioned um, during our interview was there was a mention of 13 commandments, um, which Sharon and I kind of looked at each other like, what? Because obviously there's the traditional 10 that we've all heard of. But apparently, and I I did a little research online about this. It was kind of hard to find anything other than people's opinions. But I found an article that was written in 2013 that claimed that uh, some archaeologists actually found some stole tablets um, in the mountain group of the southern Sinai Peninsula where Moses supposedly met God. Um, And they unearthed three additional commandments, um, which is what our guests were referring to. So the 11th commandment, for those of you wondering, supposedly says, honor the earth, its planet, soil, water, and air. The 12th commandment says, Thou shall not be neglectful and lazy, but keep thy mind and body healthy and disciplined. And the 13th commandment supposedly says, Thou shall not enslave others, including thy enemies. Which I think it's really funny that like all of, well, not all of, but those three are all things that America is like grossly in danger of violating right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty ironic if you think about it. But yeah, that's really interesting. I'm wondering why they decided to take out those three. And that's why I've I've been looking around to try and find like le- not legit factual statements, I guess, because the Bible's <laughs> no kind one, of like no one has like a um an actual interview with Moses. Moses. <laughs> tell us how you feel about them taking out he's those our, three commandments. He's, he hasn't been a guest on our show yet, so we have been <laughs> not able yet. to ask him about it. We're we will on it. though. But um we might have to pay for his flight, but you know. But yeah, I uh, I thought that was interesting, and I, I plan to try and do more uh, research about this because I'm like genuinely curious to find out more about it. But I mean, no offense to all you religious types out there, but the Bible's kind of one big game of like telephone, really, like passed down from generation to generation. So who really knows what, if anything, was found and what is reality and what's fable or myth but I just thought it was interesting that when she mentioned those and I looked them up the first thing I saw were those were listed and they're all pretty much spot on for like what (laughs) what's happening today it's kind of creepy and weird awesome well thank you Mindy okay so one of the other things that um we were kind of curious about Tatiana talked about um the castle slash the old Excalibur Club being one of the most, if not the most haunted place in Chicago. Um, did a little bit of Googling on that as well. Um, and I came across a piece by Adam uh, Selzer from Time Out Chicago, kind of talking about some of the main myths surrounding the building and its supposed curse. So one major myth is that the building, and he starts right off with this one, the building acted as a morgue after the SS Eastland capsized in the Chicago River. Um, And he writes, though the 844 bodies from the disaster were taken to several places, this building in question was definitely not one of them. Most likely the story spread due to confusion. Photos of the bodies being identified at the second regiment armory building are sometimes labeled courtesy of Chicago historical society. 
uh, somewhere along the line, someone probably thought that re that referred to the location and not the organization that supplied the photo. Uh, the second regimental army is actually now part of Harpo Studios, uh, which I guess their employees also tell ghost stories about. Um, so wait, for those of you who don't know what Harpo Studios is, oh, th that's where Oprah Winfrey filmed her television show when yeah. she had it in in Chicago. So I thought everybody knew Harpo. Um, but the building did originally open as the site of the Chicago Historical Society in 1896. I probably should have started with that because that, that probably explains why people might have made that I guess connection or, or been confused right because the Chicago Historical Society provided the images but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's where they were actually shot so I thought that was kind of interesting photoshopped yeah photoshop in 1915 they they were much better at it back then <laughs> one of the other myths about the castle or surrounding the castle I should say aka Excalibur is that the bones of Jean Lalime. I'm, I'm not sure if that's Jean or Jean, Jean but that the name is L-A-L-I-M-E, so Lime, maybe? I don't know. But the bones of this person uh, were once housed in the castle. The story is partially true. Bones thought to be that of Lime, an early settler killed by John Kinsey in what appears to have been a drunken brawl, which sweet, we have a name, a street named after Kinsey, awesome, were accidentally unearthed during construction near the Rush Street Bridge and presented as a gift to the Historical Society. And then this writer writes in parentheses, who I'm sure were just thrilled, which I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, but there's one problem. The bones weren't unearthed until a good 20 years after the Great Chicago Fire and certainly weren't destroyed in it. In fact, the Historical Society still has them. The bones were actually on display in the current building once upon a time, an 1896 article in the Tribune about the opening of the new building describes them as being on view in the south room on the second floor near a chair George Washington gave his children in a collection of bombs and knives the police rounded up after the Haymarket affair. Woohoo! Uh, so that's one possible explanation. Though, wait, did you just say George Washington gave his children a collection of bones and knives? No, no, no. He gave them a chair. And so these bones that were found, the chair that George Washington gave his children, and then a collection of bombs and knives the police rounded up after the Haymarket affair were all in the same room oh. at the Historical Society. And also, are you saying bombs or bones? Bombs. Bombs. Oh. Bombs and bones, actually. Both. Okay. Carry on. I just need you to clarify, because I think that would be kind of awesome it's if George Washington <laughs> gave his children a bunch of bones or bombs. Or fucking knives, for that matter. I don't know why they would have put them all in the same room. That seems like an odd display idea, but whatever. I don't, I don't know. Um, but that's one possible explanation, though. By that logic, old Lalime would probably just be as likely to be haunting the off-site <laughs> off storage facility where his bones are currently stored. <laughs> and that's courtesy of our friend um, Adam Selzer from Time Out. A little information about. Excalibur or the Chicago Castle. I think I... Sorry, I'm just finishing my cold brew. No, that was funny. I didn't have anything else to say. Because I, I, I like, yeah. For those of you in Chicago, if you're traveling to Chicago, if you want to visit it, it's the address is 632 North Dearborn. Um, and yeah, just a little bit of background behind the stories. 
Awesome. Thank you, Mindy. All right. And finally, a little bit about the history of pentagrams. So this information comes from symboldictionary.net. And the pentagram is one of the most powerful and prevalent symbols in human history. It has been important to almost every ancient culture from the Mayans of Latin America to India, China, Greece, and Egypt. So why does this symbol have such a sinister reputation today? Well, the earliest pentagrams were rough diagrams found scratched into Stone Age caves and are believed to have some spiritual significance, although what they actually meant to early humans is really kind of a mystery. But in the civilizations that followed, it held various meanings, usually something astronomical or religious in nature. According to the Greek mathematician and philosopher Pythagoras, five was the number of man because the five-fold division of the body and the ancient Greek division of the soul. According to Pythagoras, the five points of the pentagram each represent one of the five elements that make up man. Fire, water, air, earth, and psyche. What part of us is made up of fire? I'm wondering. The heart? The blood? Maybe the blood. The blood. Represents the fire. Water, obviously, and air are pretty... um, that's easy to figure out. And earth? I don't know. What? Our feet. The soles of our feet connecting with whatever. That's true. Also, well, I mean, everything that makes up earth, carbon, oxygen. You yeah. Know, all the elements. We're full of them. We're full, we're full of something. <laughs> um, so early Christians wore the pentagram as an emblem. So this is the part that I found really interesting because I didn't realize that the Christians actually um, used the symbol of the pentagram before the pagans, but it gets into this is where we get into that now. So early Christians wore the pentagram as an emblem, possibly to represent the wounds of Christ. Later, the pentacle was important to many doctrines of esoteric medieval and Renaissance belief systems, uh, alchemy, Kabbalah, and ceremonial magic. And the practice of ritual magic was used to create a state of closeness with God through the use of symbols and rituals to imitate the divine state. So it was believed that the connection between the world of the symbols and the world of actions could also be manipulated for evil purposes by black magicians, which is kind of where it starts to take on its more um, sinister um, meaning. Exactly. Thank you. I (laughs) I don't know why I couldn't think of that word, but I've been waiting patiently to be like, okay, so when did it get warped into being evil? (laughs) So currently, the most common religious uses of the pentagrams are by the Wiccans, Neo-Pagans, and also Satanic groups. In most Wiccan and Neo-Pagan traditions, its symbolic meaning is derived from ceremonial magic and 19th century... 19th century occultism the pentagram represents the four elements ruled by the spirit so um similar to what pythagoras believed and in many of these traditions it can also symbolize the unity of mankind with the earth or with the realm of the spirit the human body and more and um when a pentagram has the point pointing downwards We usually represent this with some sort of satanic meaning, but this is actually not really anything new, nor is it necessarily anything satanic or evil. (laughs) Historical depictions of the pentagram were depicted as point down and as point up. So, yeah, it this is more, I think, you know, the whole... um, 
Well, Christians and pagans don't always get along. And, uh, you know, folks say that Christians stole the pagan holiday for, for Christmas, yada, yada, yada. So. Yeah, but I think what this is saying is that historical depictions of the pentagram were depicted either way oh, in, so in, in all all religions that used it so it wasn't something that like either way it's not yeah bad. either way now it has now it's more linked to satanic uh rituals and satanic purposes and the you know another reason why people think that the pentagram yes. is evil because satan satanists sometimes depict it more that way kind of like an upside down cross you know there's like a correlation between the two that's, that yeah that's exactly what i was thinking as you were because i actually didn't know that about christians either that Christ, early christians wore it um but th- that's what satan does right like take religious symbols and warp them so i guess yeah. that kind of makes sense but it's just weird that it's so prevalently is that a word it is now <laughs> um it's it's so associated with evil when it's really not at all evil mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you see a pentagram with a point down, it could be just as likely a Masonic or Wiccan symbol. And some inexperienced Wiccans will occasionally claim that a point down pentagram is satanic, but such a symbol has at times represented the Wiccan horn god and is still today an emblem of the second degree initiation in Gardnerian Wicca. Not heard that term. Mm, No, me neither. But in the minds of many, the pentagram is inextricably linked with black magic and Satan worship. The satanic pentagram is a difficult symbol. It is the newest and least used, but at the same time, it's also the best known and most controversial. So the adoption of the pentacle as a satanic emblem is quite recent, dating only to the latter half of the 20th century. So to the Satanist, this symbol is a representation of black magic, representing the triumph of matter and individual desires over religious dogma and earth over an illusory promise of heaven. In modern Satanic theology, the pentagram is far more likely to represent the individual or the choice to pursue individual glory or immortality rather than union or absorption with the divine. Where some traditions advocate for suppression of the ego or submission to God, Satanism glorifies it, deifying the human being. Okay, well, that about wraps it up for us. We hope you learned something new. And also, we hope you go back and listen to our interview, our three-part interview with Adriana and Tatiana, if you have not done that already. And uh, as always, send us your – if you're, you know, if you're a Satanist – we want to hear from you. Actually, yeah, that would be really interesting. If you've ever been to the Kemper Center or you've been to the castle in Chicago and you've seen any ghosts, please write to us. Please do. And if you have any other uh, scary stories, you've seen any shadow figures in your life, we want to hear about it. And you can write to us at horror at gmail.com. And we're all over the socials, the social media, um, the, the the Instagrams, um, the kids are calling them <laughs> the, the Facebooks, thing. the Twitters, <laughs> um, Horrors Talk Horror on Instagram. And as always, thanks, thanks for, for getting, getting creepy, creepy with us. With us.